Well, thanks, Chris. Well, in preparation for baptism today, I want us to look at an account in Acts chapter 8 about a specific baptism that took place in the first century. And this is a passage, uh, what I love about this passage is that it really communicates the heart of baptism, kind of the, the spirit in which people entered into baptism. And so it doesn't explain the theology of baptism really at all. We find that in other passages. In Romans 6, we find it in Acts 28, or yeah, uh, Matthew 28, different passages. But this, this passage explains the heart of baptism, namely that it was a joyful expression of faith and devotion on the part of those who believe that Jesus is Lord. The passage today is Acts 8, 26 through 40, and it explains how God himself orchestrated an encounter, a conversation between uh, Philip and an Ethiopian man. We've learned earlier in Acts, in Acts chapter 6, that Philip was a man with a good reputation, and he was full of faith, and he was full of the Holy Spirit. And so this is what we read in Acts 8, verse 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. And just in case you haven't been on that road lately, uh, Luke adds, This is a desert road. And so it was just wilderness. It was just a desolate place. In verse 27, we read that Philip followed the angel's directive, and he found this man who was very teachable, and uh, he was a a God-fearing Gentile, meaning he was non-Jewish, but he was on his way home after worshiping in Jerusalem, verse 27. And he, Philip, got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And so we're told some interesting things about this this man. First of all, he was Ethiopian. And that's not the modern-day country of Ethiopia and the Horn of Africa. It it corresponds to uh, Sudan today. A lot of Old Testament scholars think that this was the, the city of Cush in the Old Testament. So he was from Ethiopia. We also learned that he was a eunuch, and eunuchs were employed as attendants to queens because, generally speaking, uh, queens felt safe being around, being alone in the presence of a eunuch. Uh, Think about Joseph in Genesis. If Joseph had been a eunuch, Potiphar's wife probably never would have brought the accusations against him that she she did. Uh, So he was an Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, This man was in charge of the treasury of the Ethiopian queen Candace, and that was not a proper name. That was a title that was given to each of the queens in that dynasty. Uh, He was returning home, we learned, that he was returning home after worshiping in Jerusalem. He was a Gentile, but we aren't told his exact status in the Jewish community. Uh, we, we learn from the law in Deuteronomy 23 that an emasculated male would have been excluded from the assembly. So at best, he would have been on the, the margins of the community. But Isaiah 56 it gave this prophecy that one day, uh, even eunuchs would be fully accepted into the assembly of God if they love God with all their heart, soul, and might. And so this this passage today is really a fulfillment of that prediction in the Old Testament. 
But whatever his exact status, Philip, Philip encountered this man who would soon take the gospel to the remotest parts of the earth. And he was seeking God by reading from the prophet Isaiah. Look at 29 and 30. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. And Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. He was reading out loud. And he said to this man, do you understand what you are reading? And we see in the Ethiopian man's response that he was a teachable man and he was an honest man. Uh, he gave an answer that was that, that, uh, fairly uncommon. And he said, verse 31, well, how could I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And so this wasn't like a uh, battle chariot like in Ben-Hur or something like that. It would have been a bigger chariot, enough space for two people to sit. There was also a driver. It probably would have been covered. So he invites Philip to come up and explain the scriptures to him. And Luke records in verses 32 and 33 the passage of Scripture that this Ethiopian man was reading. And we know in, in our Bibles it would be Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. And if you look at those verses, it's different than what we find here in, in Acts 8. The wording is different from Isaiah 53. There are a couple of reasons for that. Uh, number one, it's evident, scholars would tell us, I, I couldn't. Uh, discern this, but scholars would tell us that this man was reading from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. It was a common translation in, in the first century. So what we're reading in our English translations is, in our English Bible, is an English translation of the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. Okay, so it's not surprising that there are some differences in wording. But this is what we read, verse 32. Now, the passage of Scripture, which the Ethiopian man was reading, was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth." And Jewish scholars of the day disagreed on, on who exactly Isaiah was talking about. Was he talking about himself, the prophet? Was he talking about some other person who would, would uh, fit this description? And so the eunuch asked Philip to explain what it, who exactly is being described. Verse 34, the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? And then verse 35 is the, just the best verse here. The Philip, and then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And so this was only the first of several scriptures that Philip used to preach Jesus to this man. And so we don't know exactly what he said, but very likely he would have pointed there from verse 32 how Jesus is the Lamb of God how Jesus is the once for all sacrifice for sin. He is the spotless lamb of God. And he would have pointed out that, that as Isaiah said, he was silent like a, like a lamb, like a lamb before its shearer is silent. Jesus did not put up a fight. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus told, told Peter, put up your sword. Don't try to stop me from being arrested. Jesus willingly went to the cross. And at his, at his uh, trial, it was really this mock trial, Jesus just let the, the wheels of injustice roll because he knew he had this assignment to die for the sin of the world. And so he didn't go to the cross kicking and screaming. He willingly went to the cross. 
we could imagine uh, Philip talking about how Jesus endured humiliation at his trial and crucifixion. It says in verse 33, in humiliation, his judgment or justice was taken away. In other words, Jesus did not receive justice uh, at his, at his uh, trial, and uh, he was denied justice in the process. He says, nobody talks about Jesus' generation, meaning his physical descendants, because his life was removed from the earth. And so beginning with this scripture, Jesus, uh, Philip preached Jesus to this man. And perhaps Philip went on to cite passages such as Psalms 2, Psalm 2, which speaks of rulers and kings plotting against God's anointed, against the Son of God. Uh, perhaps uh, Philip talked about how Jesus is the seed of Abraham through, through whom all the families of the earth would be blessed, that Jesus is this descendant promised in the book of Genesis. And so Philip understood the, the Hebrew scriptures well enough to pre- preach Jesus from many different texts. And, the, and that's instructive for us because the better, there's a there's hundred reasons, good reasons to study the Bible. One of them is that the better you know the word, the better you'll be able to talk about Jesus. The, the more you'll be able to see, here's a passage of scripture that foreshadowed the coming of Christ. Here's a passage that gives some detail, some nuance of who Jesus is and what he did. Well, after, he, after Philip had preached Jesus to him, apparently this man was familiar with the fact that followers of Christ were baptized. Verse 36, as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And so the attitude we see in this man really permeates the entire New Testament. This is the prevailing attitude toward baptism. Uh, He was eager to be baptized because, as we'll see, he had believed in Jesus Christ. In our day, uh, that's a pretty uncommon attitude. You're much more likely to get the question, really, I have to be baptized? Somebody's got to put me under the water? What's the point of that? I thought I'm saved by grace through faith. What's the point of being baptized? You're not saved by salvation. Is it just a technicality? Should I be baptized just out out of sheer obligation? What's the point? Well, in the New Testament, baptism was more a get-to than a have-to. Baptism was a tangible way to express your identification with Christ. It was a privilege. And this was, a, this was an isolated baptism because they were in this desert place. But generally, it was a public thing. It was a privilege to stand before your family and friends, believers, unbelievers, and to declare at your baptism Jesus is Lord. It was a privilege. Uh, in, in Romans 6, Paul talked about how when you're baptized, it's, it's basically an acted out parable of what has happened to you in Jesus Christ. And so Paul develops the, the imagery there. He says, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have died with Christ. You've been buried with Christ. When you come out of the water, it, it's a, a, this declaration that you have been raised up with Christ. If you're in Christ Jesus, since Jesus is fully alive to God, you are just as alive to God as Jesus himself. Who wouldn't want to declare that? And so this man believed. He said, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Verse 37, and Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ 
is the Son of God. So that's verse 37 in the New American Standard Bible. Your Bible may actually not have verse 37. It may go from verse 36 to 38. Or your Bible may have a bracket around verse 37 and a note that says this verse is not found in the earliest manuscripts. And so evidence suggests that this verse was added later to make explicit what was implicit in this passage, namely that the Ethiopian man believed with all his heart. He believed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so according to Jesus' instruction, Philip was taken to this conversation. He was making disciples, baptizing them in the name, and the name of God refers to everything he is, everything he does, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus had commanded. So we read in verse 38, And he, the man, ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And so this text suggests that you don't have to achieve a certain level of maturity before you get baptized. The main qualification is that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ is the Savior, that he is your Savior. Uh, F.F. Bruce was a a New Testament scholar. He pointed out that the New Testament knows nothing of an unbaptized believer. That's a double negative there. Another way to say it is everybody in the New Testament got baptized, okay? So the New Testament knows nothing of an unbaptized believer. So being baptized was a joyful, natural, obvious expression of a person's faith. I've been born from above. I'm as alive to God as Jesus himself. I've been raised up and seated with him in the heavenlies. Jesus is Lord. I want to declare that through baptism. Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. This is the last time we hear about uh, this Ethiopian man, Irenaeus. uh, He made the claim that he became an evangelist. He went back to Ethiopia or Cush, and he became an evangelist there. But this passage is significant in the flow of of, uh, of the the book of Acts. Remember, Jesus had said, Acts 1-8, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, even to the remotest parts of the earth. That was this man. The gospel had spread to yet another category of people, eunuchs. And the gospel had spread to another geographical location, Ethiopia. And so the gospel is moving forward. This man believed and was baptized. And as we've seen, Scripture played a a strategic role in this man's uh, faith in Christ. This morning's baptisms show that the gospel is still moving forward. The gospel has gone from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Ethiopia. The gospel has come to northeast Kansas. There are people here who believe that Jesus is Lord, who want to declare Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is my Savior. And so that's what we're going to hear today. 
And so uh, there are three being baptized here today, uh, Adeline and Audrey Chang and Quentin Pease. And while they're preparing to be baptized, uh, turn your attention to the screen. We have just a brief clip of the of the, the testimonies of each of the persons who are being baptized today. The rest are being baptized in one of the other two services. But uh, enjoy these, if you would.